and welcome to episode 76 of Much Awaited, episode 76 of the Lace My Podcast. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. My sends are off to the file bar. I'm pumped, man. I'm so pumped. Uh, Caps fans, not so much. They're done. Again. So what went wrong with Washington? We'll discuss that. Uh, also, the Oilers uh, lose a heartbreaker in Game 7. Um the real heartbreaker was in Game 5. We'll talk about what happened there, the controversy behind that. Um, also, the Preds, the Cinderella run over there continues. They're off to the conference finals. We'll break down how their series ended with the St. Louis Blues uh, and who they've uh, got up uh, and, and to what they're going to have to deal with uh, against the Ducks. Also, uh, Vegas signs its second player. It's a very talented Russian. We'll specify who. Uh, and speaking of Russians, Nikita Kucherov taking heat from the media. We'll uh, break down what he said, uh, translated out of Russian uh, language, of course. Uh, but first, shout-outs to all the players past and present who have worn number 76 in the NHL. A lot of current NHLers, of course. We're going to talk about both these two guys. Uh, Brady Shea of the New York Rangers wears number 76. P.K. Subban wears number 76 with Montreal and Nashville. Uh, believe it or not, from 1995 to 1997, Radek Bonk wore this number with the Ottawa Senators, um, which is odd because uh, I think number 14 was his regular. Um, from his time in Buffalo, also from 95 to 97, Wayne Primo wore number 76. Uh, and in 2006 with the Anaheim Ducks, so did Dustin Penner. So to all of them and to all the guys we didn't mention, this podcast is for you. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and so Steve. So we're uh, finally back here. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's been a while. Uh, both me and Steve have been busy, but uh, we figured we would record right after round two had ended. So, um, yeah, I, we, we've both been busy, but we'll leave it at that. Um the uh, let's get going though. Uh, we're gonna start with the uh, pen- the biggest uh, story so far is that the Washington Capitals are out. Um, uh, again, uh, they didn't get past the second round. Um, Ovechkin has notoriously been known to never get past the second round. Um, yeah, so the Penguins beat them without Matt Murray in net without. Uh, Chris Letang without Crosby for a bit, um, which is it's just it's crazy. Like because they the Capitals had the most goals in the regular season. They they uh, gave they allowed the least amount of goals in the regular season. You know they have Ovechkin, they have uh, Backstrom, um, they have Oshie, um, Justin Williams uh, back. Uh, Kuznetsov, I can go on, um, and uh, they didn't get it done. Um, meanwhile, the Penguins are uh, injured uh, beyond belief, as I just mentioned. They don't have Le Chang, they didn't have Crosby for a bit, and they also didn't have Matt Murray. So I think that's really <laughs> the, the craziest thing about this whole series, was that Marc-Andre Fleury is actually good again. Um so, uh, 
I mean, before we go to this Crosby Niskanen thing, um, what do you have to say about this series overall? Okay, well, just just looking at the swing of momentum, like in yeah. Game Three, you thought Washington was going to get back into it when they build up that two nothing lead, and then yeah. Pittsburgh destroys it in less than a minute with like less than two minutes to go right. in uh, in the game, and Washington was fortunate to win that, but still. Like, that could have ended in regulation. It didn't. And then you look at Game 4, Washington outshoots Pittsburgh. The Pens get three goals on 25 or fewer shots. Uh, three or more goals, sorry, on 25 or fewer uh, on twenty-five or fewer shots. Third time that happened in this series, which is incredible. And then in Game 5, of course, um, after 40 minutes, the Pittsburgh Penguins are up 2-1. to one. I was ready to, what, uh, to write the Caps off and... They're big guns to their credit. They came to play. Uh, Burakovsky came to play in game six. He got two goals. He had three goals in his last two games heading into the finale. And you're just thinking, okay, it's game seven. They got Mr. Game Seven, Justin Williams, on their team. Seven goals and seven assists, all time in game sevens. The team that he's on, perfect seven and oh. <laughs> this is going to be the year, right? Yep. The Pens outshoot their opponents. In 19 of the 24 playoff games they took part in last year, they won the Stanley Cup. This year, in their first 11 games, they were outshot in 10 of them. Yeah. And they still won. <laughs> Ovechkin was a minus two in this yep. game. He got nothing. Justin Williams got nothing. TJ Oshie got nothing. Every single player didn't get a point because, of course, they were shut out. Yep. And you've just got to wonder... Outshooting Pittsburgh in every single game in these in, in this best of seven, and they lose. Yeah, I just can't explain it. It's crazy. Uh, speaking of Flurry, he had a shutout in Game Seven, as you just mentioned. Uh, he had a nine twenty one save percentage in the entire series, uh, which is kind of crazy. Um, but first, we're going to talk about the Crosby Niskanen hit. I believe it was game, was it game four or game five? I think it was game um, four. I think it was game three actually where it happened. Okay, it might be yeah. Because because Crosby was out game four and then he came back in game five. Right, right. Okay, yeah. So game, so three, game three is when it happened. Yeah. To yeah. summarize, uh, it feels like forever ago, but uh, <laughs> basically what happened was uh, Crosby was going towards the net. Um, Ovechkin, who is just behind him, starts to hit him on the helmet, and uh, that forces Crosby to move uh, towards the other side of the net, um, where N- Matt Niskanen um, just so happens to be there, um, and he body checks him. Uh, Matt Niskanen got a game misconduct. Crosby got uh, had a concussion where he only missed a game, it turned out, but it Looked to be a little bit more serious because Crosby has a concussion history. Um, but, like, it was... Everyone was kind of mad at Niskanen, which, to me, like, yeah, it was, Niskanen was the guy who actually, you know, hit Crosby. But at the same time, it's like Ovechkin was the guy who started the whole thing. Um, so I, I didn't feel like people were commenting on how Ovechkin sh- was... Uh, was the actual dirty player who, you know, started the whole thing. But, um, I mean, I guess it doesn't matter considering Crosby ended up playing. Um, yeah. And it didn't really have a huge effect at the end. But, um, 
it is kind of like a, it was kind of a nuts situation. Um, yeah, your thoughts. Yeah, well, it it's not like guys go out and purposely injure the other players. Yeah. Um, and there's nothing Niskanen, I guess, could yeah. do to stop, especially given how fast-paced today's game is. Like, the Ovechkin high stick and and the Niskanen hit was just a bang-bang play. It happened so quickly. Yeah, it's just a um, hockey play. So at, I get that. Yeah. At the same time, though, it, it could be intentional because after the hit, Niskanen just skates away without making eye contact with Crosby. And, and that doesn't tell me everything. Right. But it does make me wonder if it was if, – if this was just an innocent-looking play or not. Right. Um, but, again, the fact we don't know it's intentional is why we don't see a suspension for either Ovechkin or Niskanen. It's so tough to tell if – if any of this was planned or or, yeah. if, or if anyone meant to do anything like that. And like you said, it was a bang-bang play. It all happened so quickly. Yeah. And, and I, can, I can understand why people are frustrated with uh, with either guy. It's, it's, it's more, you, you got it right, though. It's like, it's more about intent. It didn't seem intentional, but at the same time, it could have very well been intentional. Um, but you so, can't tell. Yeah, you can't tell. And luckily, it didn't end up mattering because Crosby ended up playing later in the series. But... Um, at this, you know, you know, those are plays that you don't want to happen, but it's, it's one of those things where when you're playing hockey, when things are going so fast, it's, it's hard to be like, oh, there's Crosby. He's flying towards me. I should probably, he might, I shouldn't cross check him in the head right here, you know? So it's, it's tough to have that tough of like a big of a reaction time, you know, your reaction time has to be pretty quick. We're just going to, for each series, we're going to do, like, a who's been good and who's been bad. I think uh, Steve has a player for each. I have a little bit more than that, but um, we'll see. I don't know who Steve has. He doesn't know who I have. Um, Jake Gensel, uh, I think that's how you pronounce his name. He had uh, eight points, uh, four goals, four assists. Uh, He was pretty good. It's crazy, too, because he's, like, a rookie um, and whatnot, but... um, yeah, he's been pretty good. Um, I don't know how we want to do this because I have a list of people who've been pretty good. Um, Malkin has had seven points, uh, three goals, four assists. He uh, leads the playoffs um, in points. Um, yeah, he had seven points with three goals and four assists. I had Flurry already. I already said that he had a nine twenty one save percentage. Apparently, Matt Murray was the backup in Game 7, so he might be back. Um, as for players who didn't do so great, uh, Alex Ovechkin, um, he had 5 points um, with 17 shots. His first series, he had 28 shots with only 3 goals. So, I mean, that's not terrible, I would say, but for Ovechkin standards, that's not great. I did know, notice that he was moved to the third line, which I thought was interesting. Um, and Shattenkirk, um, the big acquisition in the mid uh, the trade deadline, he had three points. Um, so that's not great. Um, he needs to be better than that. Um, I, I'd assume he's not going to be in Washington uh, next year, but we'll see. Um, who do you have? Well, speaking of the devil, Jake Ensel, uh, as you mentioned, yep. uh, very good in this series. Um, Evgeny Kuznetsov, he had four goals and seven points in this series, hanging into game seven, also led the Caps with 22 shots on goal. He was probably Washington's um, probably most noticeable player offensively. Yep. Um, 
in the first four games, it's it's tough to pick a dud in this series because there were so many highs and lows. Yeah. But in the first four games, it was Brayden Oldby. 11 okay. goals against on 83 shots. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> You're going up against Marc-Andre Fleury. You should be yeah. able to win that goaltending battle. You, your team's out shooting the other Especially teams Especially if you're Braden Holtby. Yeah, you, you need to be better than allowing goals against on 83 shots. And yep. to be fair, in games 5 and 6, 4 goals against on 40 shots, that's not bad. Yep. But uh, the first 4 games weren't good enough. And I think if he does better in those first 4 games, we're, we're talking about Washington moving to the conference finals. Because Washington on paper, in my opinion... Uh, they should have won this series, and they did. Yeah. Um, I was actually looking at this, uh, this statistic. So in NHL history, uh, the Capitals are second in Game 7 losses with 11. <laughs> and the first is my Boston Bruins. Uh, well, and, to be fair, they've been around for forever. Yeah, so. I know. And the uh, next three are all original six. I believe it's like Montreal... Toronto and Detroit and Washington's the only original non-original six team to not be in the, uh, in on this list um, which is kind of crazy um, and um, but yeah so those those were a good list I guess you could pretty much say any, everyone on the capitals um, would yeah. be on the bad list and everyone on the penguins would be on the good list but um, we'll see um, so but um Speaking of which, the uh, so the Capitals, Shannon Kirk, Oshie, uh, Justin Williams, uh, I think there's another one I'm missing. Um, I think he's a defenseman. Um, well, well let's, let's see here. Their UFAs after this season are TJ Oshie, Justin Williams, Carl Alsner, Kevin Alsner. Shattenkirk, and Daniel Winnick. Yep. On the RFA front for this year, Kuznetsov. Evgeny Kuznetsov. Dmitry Orlov, Andre Burakovsky, Brett Connolly, Nate Schmidt, and Philip Grubauer. Yep. After next year, Tom Wilson becomes an RFA. And on the draft floor, they don't pick until the fourth round this year. They yep. traded away their second in 2018. And if they somehow made it to the conference finals this year, they would have given up a second in 2019 to St. Louis as part of the Shattenkirk deal. So their future is hurting. They need this victory. They didn't get it. Yep. And we were talking about this off the air. What do they do this offseason? Because they're going to be a very interesting case. Yeah, they should be. A, they'll be an interesting team. Uh, thanks for uh, fill, <laughs> filling in my <laughs> shoes here. Um, I didn't have the list in front of me. I was just like, I think it's Oshi, <laughs> Justin Williams. I'm not sure who else. Um, but, um, yeah. They have, a, they have a lot. They have a lot of UFAs and RFAs. Uh, that's the main point. I, I don't think... I expect, I think their big thing that they should do is definitely keep Kuznetsov and Burakovsky. Um, yeah. They're both young, and they're both important to the you know future of the Capitals, especially, as we just mentioned, they don't have draft picks, a lot of draft picks this year. Uh, but, um, the yeah, I don't know. It's It will be an interesting case, because I'm not sure. I think their window is closed for the current team. Um, you know, Ovechkin's 31 years old, Backstrom's 29 years old, Holtby is 27 years old, which isn't too bad, but, you know, um, you know how goalies go. But, like, so, I don't know, this might be it for, like, the Capitals should start thinking about the future, because uh, this might be the last time that this core will be intact, you know, so, um, 
I'm not sure how they do it, but I think that's something that they should look into this season, um, in this offseason. Well, especially when it comes to protecting guys, yeah. too, with the expansion draft. Right, They're probably going to have to make some moves, but that's it's going to be interesting as to see who they keep and who they don't. But to be fair, every every team's going to have to do that. But yeah. Well, yeah, but especially Washington, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would think. Yeah, yeah. Um, we'll go to the Sens Rangers. I'll allow you to gloat for a bit. Congratulations! No, no, uh, before we before we get into that, uh, we are going to talk about uh, Beagle's comments. Oh right? right, right. Sorry. Yeah, go on. You can talk okay. about Beagle's. So so Jay Beagle, um, as far as his comments go, I won't obviously punch someone who agrees with his comments, but I'll take a lot of convincing before I even consider agreeing with him. So uh, just before we, uh, I explain my opinion, here's what he told reporters. This was after the Niskanen on Crosby uh, situation and. He was asked, you know, if 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 the if he thought the hit was like legal, if he's okay with it, and obviously he said no. You hate to see people get hurt, but he said this about the playoffs: "quote It should be nasty. It's the playoffs. That's the way we like to play. That's the way they like to play. You know, hard hits, going after one another, all that stuff. These two teams don't get along. But who says that's what the fans want, though? By the way, he's referring to the Crosby. This was like right after the Crosby Niskanen hit." So, so my question is, who says that's what the fans want? Do you think the fans pay good money to watch nasty hockey? Does Commissioner Bettman want to see that? Do you think the fans in the NHL stars of tomorrow I mean, want to see that? I if mean, you're like, to be a devil's advocate here, I mean, like back in the '70s and the '80s, like that—that that was hockey. It's just yes. hard-hitting hockey where everyone right. was injured. <laughs> yeah, the only difference is we're not in the '70s and '80s anymore. True. And, yeah. and and I ask people on all my social media platforms, and and I get answers uh, that range from good looking athletes to a group of guys winning and losing as a team to watching generational talents to watching two goalies go at it safe for safe to watching fun and exciting teams whenever they can. Everyone's got a different reason of going or not going to a hockey game. Right. But the physical side of hockey isn't growing in popularity like it was back in the seventies and eighties. You see all these goons slowly dying off. And I'm seeing more lightning-fast players on the ice than I'm seeing bench-clearing brawls. Uh, to, to watch a hockey game, like, you look at markets like Toronto, New York, and Montreal, it doesn't always come cheap. Like, the yep. least playoff games, I saw tickets ranging 200 bucks upwards. Right. And uh, the winning streaks game between Columbus and Minnesota, you saw the game, um, I remember we were talking about this in, in, a, in a previous episode months ago, and um, we were talking about how the ticket prices were, like, about as high as 100 bucks for that game, and then it's half that uh, for the rematch uh, a couple of months later. So it, what a good storyline can do to a hockey game is massive. And it's and, and, you, and then you just look at other sports. When you go to yeah. a Yankees game or a Red Sox game, you're not paying good money to see a bench-clearing brawl. You're paying good money to watch that sure. game live and see the best of the best go at it. Uh, yeah. Everyone wants to see a good rivalry, to be fair, but no one wants to see post-whistle skirmishes every minute or so. That yep. not only drowns out the game, it drowns out the pure joy of attending a live sporting event. So I I disagree with what Jay Beagle said there. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I see what he's saying. Like, what I was just mentioning, like, the old-school hockey method way of saying it, like, yeah. you know, like, where people, like, hard hits and fights were, like, a customary thing in hockey. Yeah. Um and so I think that's what he was talking about. But as you were just saying, it's a different it's a different ball game now. Um, yeah. 
a, or I guess a different rink, <laughs> rink yeah. game now. Yeah, whatever so, sports analogy yeah, yeah. you come up with. This, <laughs> I was just thinking is, like ball game. Not, There's not a ball not in a, hockey. Yeah, it's a lot has changed in a few decades. Yeah. So, so I think that's what he was mentioning. Uh, it was interesting though because then Kessel said something about how, um, like, if he thought that Niskanen hit was clean, then he's an idiot. And yeah. then Beagle challenged him to a Mario Kart race yeah. or something with that, which yeah. is like it's just funny how like times have changed because you know if if this was in the eighties, uh, Kessel and Beagle would probably be duking it out, you know, in the next game. He so. also added that he never loses at Mario Kart, so I don't know <laughs> if Kessel likes his odds. It's just it's just funny how times have changed. It's like yeah, you know, <laughs> it's just like how he's telling you a score. It's like Mario oh, Kart. we could fight. In the we ring, could. but no, let's let's just play a video game instead. Yeah, instead of taking it outside, yeah. we'll take it inside. You know, we'll play Mario. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, times have changed already. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'll allow you to gloat now for the Sens uh, going into the Eastern Conference Finals now. Uh, I think this is the first time since 2007, is that right? Yep. Yeah, the year um, they went to the finals, yep. that's the last time they went this far. So, yeah, they beat the Rangers in uh, six games. Yep. Um, I'll allow you to gloat. I don't have too much on here for the game summary, yeah. but I assume you um, have a long-winded thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, at game three, like, Anderson played great. Like, he, there were a lot of game-saving plays that, that he made, but that unfortunate miscue that led to the 2-0 goal where he played the puck behind the net where, in my opinion, he had no business playing it. Uh, just the just the little mistakes cost Ottawa in that game. Um, and, and and the Rangers uh, just... The Sens couldn't match the Rangers' desperation. Yeah. When you're down 2-0, the Rangers are desperate. They're fighting for their season. Yeah, the Rangers didn't much, look great. They got a much-needed win there. So Yep. Um, uh, then you look... Then you look uh, uh, did you want to add something? There? No, no, Sorry. go, go. Sorry, go. Okay. So, game four, Anderson is pulled not because of his play, but the fact is, again, the Sens were losing the puck battles. They just didn't get any momentum. Uh, the score could have been much worse, frankly, if it wasn't for Craig Anderson, but there were a couple of times, like on a couple of goals, where it's just like odd man rushes. One of them was a 2 on 0. Like, Ottawa just couldn't get anything going mm-hmm. in that game. The coach had to provide a spark. And then you look at Eric Carlson, who left the game. Uh, they say he could have played. Uh, but they just opted to, to rest him because, you know, at that point it's like 4 nothing or something like that, 3 nothing, 4 nothing, whatever. And you got Mike Condon in the net, so it hasn't played at all in the playoffs. You're, you're just trying to get some momentum for next game, trying to rest some of your guys. Um, so it, it, it had nothing to do with the performance of Anderson and Carlson, why, why they didn't play in the third. It was just the Sens just didn't get anything going for them. And heading into game five, the big story was the performance of the Rangers' unsung heroes because you look at Lindbergh, he got two goals in Game 4. Tanner Glass, two goals, seven hits. Nick Holden, goals, six shots, three block shots. Yep. Uh, and, and Carlson was just being contained by the Rangers. Every chance they had to hit him, they, they finished he, their checks. He still had seven points in the series, but yeah. He did. He yeah, did, but they were, the they were really thing. limiting what what he could do in, in games three and four. True. So in game five, when you go back into your home building, you need a spark, and that's really deflating when the other team goes up two to nothing. The biggest difference, in my opinion, was Chris Neal. Putting Chris Neal into the lineup was probably the best decision that Guy Boucher has made all series because 
he hadn't played for months. The crowd, seeing a familiar face, just absolutely energized by yeah. it. And they needed the crowd behind them. Ottawa really needed some momentum. Uh, and they bowed back from being down 2 nothing. The Rangers, unfortunately, they retook the lead in the third. But they just kept battling and battling. They get a fluky play on the Broussard goal. Bounces off three Rangers before it goes in. And then it goes off of Hank's glove before it goes in, actually. Uh, and then you have tourists with the OT winner. So just that momentum that generated in Game 5, that was the turning point in this series. And then you look at Game 6. Prior to that Game 6, the Sens hadn't scored first in the series. They, they hadn't even led for 20 minutes of the series heading into Game 6. Their start had to be better. And they get a 2-0 lead. They're able to maintain it. And then they get good goaltending from Craig Anderson. He makes 37 saves in the game, 14 saves in the third period. Ottawa seemed to make that critical play when it mattered the most, and that's why they won this series. Yep. Is because they made those key plays. Yeah, um, I yeah, that's that's a good summary. I did notice the Rangers seemed kind of lethargic in Game Five and Game Six towards the yeah. end there. Although the Rangers were ahead. Um, in Game 5 for most of the time, like, they just were too conservative, which was it's just, that's the killer in hockey. Um, and then Game 6, they just, like, were out of gas the entire time, which was crazy. Um, I have, so we did do a who's been good and who's been bad for each series. I mostly have a lot of bad players on the Rangers. Um, <laughs> so uh, here's here's a list here. Zuccarello, who has, wasn't terrible, but he had four points, one goal and three assists. Uh, Rick Nash had two points, a goal, and an assist the entire series. Chris Kreider had three goals, which uh, I think those were all early in the series. Uh, JT Miller had two assists. That's it. Um, and then I, um, so I have a, I know a couple of Rangers fans um, here. Uh, New York and Boston kind of have a weird relationship with each other, as I think you'll know. Yeah. Um, but so we have a couple of like New York transplants. My dad being one of them, but. Um, also, at, like, there's someone at my gym who's a Ranger fan, something like that. So, anyways, they were criticizing, like, Lundqvist because they thought that he should be better. Um, and then my trainer was mentioning all these different stats about how, like, you know, like, Lundqvist wasn't the problem. It was the uh, defense who was the problem. And so then I looked this up. Lundqvist had uh, 189 save opportunities. He gave up 18 goals. Yeah. As opposed to Craig Anderson, who had 205 save attempts, so that's uh, 20 more. That's uh, like a little bit less than 20 uh, save opportunities, and he gave up 19 goals. So Lundqvist had like less shots to deal with, but he gave up almost as much goals as Anderson did, um, which is kind of like crazy. Um, but like, I mean, I didn't see all the goals, so I'm not sure if like, if like all of them were the rate, the defense's fault or if, if it was like Lundqvist should have had them or something. But at the same time, it's like, that statistic's kind of crazy when you think about it. Um, so, um, speaking of Lundqvist, he's 35 years old, um, I feel sad for him because he's been, like, the best goaltender for a decade now. Um, and he's been in the league for a long time, too. Um, is this it for Hank? Is this, like, what's going to happen? Well, 
see, here's the thing with 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 King Henrik. Um, I, by the way, King Henrik was a seventh round pick in 2000 yep. by the New yep. York Rangers, and I, I remember hearing this uh, from a Sportsnet piece, a, a piece that Sportsnet did, and apparently one of the scouts in New York is just like, yeah. Yeah, we don't really need him, and, right. and uh, Don Maloney's just like uh, who's a who's a part of the Rangers front office at the time. And he's just like, yeah, oh, you know what? What do we got to lose? Let's take him. Right. So they took him uh, late in the seventh round, and actually the Stars drafted his brother, as you all know. And the talk was they were going to try and get them both on the same team. So <laughs> you, you right. kind of wonder what the Stars would be like if they had Lundqvist on their team. But anyways, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, getting back to Lundqvist, you're right. Age, you know, it's it's creeping up on him. We saw signs of wear and tear this year. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's it for him, but the Rangers' window is closing, especially yeah. when you look at what they have uh, as far as UFAs and RFAs. Right. Um, Zabanajad, Peary, Fast, and Lindbergh all set to become RFAs on July 1st. Next year, Klein, Nash, Holden, VC, Miller, Shea, and Grabner will all need new contracts. Um I think when you look at it, it was a big opportunity missed in yep. this game for the New York Rangers um, because they led for over 170 minutes in the series. The Sens led for a little over 60 or 70 minutes. Yeah. With those lopsided stats, you would think you have to find a way to win. Yeah, advance. this was the series the Rangers could have won or should have won. I should yeah, say. and, and, no, and you, no also offense, look at, <laughs> you also look at the fact that the Rangers gave up three goals yeah. six on five so extra attacker goals in the final few minutes they did that three times yeah they did that twice in this series uh in uh game i think uh, it was game two and game five in this case uh, for the rangers uh and you also look at the fact that their power play in the two rounds combined only got three power play goals yeah like ottawa's power play was bad the only reason they didn't get burned on special teams is because the Rangers were especially bad. Right. So the power play and their inability to hold on to leads late in the game, I think, was the biggest difference. And I, I think that's why the Rangers lost. It was, I think King Henrik, at times, he made a lot of big saves. Okay. But that big save late in the game, it just it just didn't come for whatever reason. And I think his play, it, the team in front of him had as much to do with that as, as he yeah. So it's not all on King Henrik, but it's on some of them. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think it's it's not, like I just mentioned, like Kreider, Nash, uh, JT Miller, they all were pretty bad. Zuccarello was okay, but not as much as he should be. But yeah, you're right. It's like, it's a lot of just the players in front of him instead of um, him himself. As for Hank, I think, he, I don't think it's it for him. But at the same time, I think they sh- the Rangers should try to find a backup goaltender for him, or they or he has. I know he has a no trade clause somewhere, so uh, he might want to go somewhere where he's not relied upon much. But he has a good chance of getting that cup. Um, but I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if like Henrik is just like, hey, screw this. I want my cup. I'm going to like L.A. or I'm going to. Trying to think of like a place that you probably Chicago. Yeah, that worked. That worked out well for Ben Bishop. No, like yeah, yeah. Uh, Chicago probably has a good chance if they get it. Like yeah. a good. Like if he's like a backup to Corey Crawford, I think that could work uh, for him. I was going to mention the Stars, but I feel like 
I don't know if that's that might not work either, but um, or like the Flames, but I feel like they're a little bit away from that too. Yeah, when when yeah. he wants to win a cup, he wants to go on the team with the best odds, and I think he only goes to Chicago if he takes a pay cut. That's the yeah. only way that that's going to happen. But that's like because only, we all know that Chicago doesn't have yeah. too much money to spend now. That's like the expansion draft. That's like only if he really wanted a cup. But like he could yeah. stay in New York, and you know he. But it's just it's just sad because he he probably won't. I don't think the Rangers are gonna get a cup anytime soon. So um, we'll see. Um, the Sen, So now we do a Sens versus Pens predictions here. Um, I've been downing the Senators all year long. The Penguins are pretty injury riddled. It depends on if Matt Murray comes back or not. Um, I'm not sure if I'm entirely convinced that Marc-Andre Fleury can keep this up, but um, I kind of have to, I feel stupid if I pick the Sens. So I'm going to go with the Pens um, in six or seven. Seven. Let's go with seven. <laughs> I'm going to go with Pittsburgh in six. Okay. And I'll tell you why. My heart, obviously, is hoping that I'm wrong. Right. But um, – the fact is, if Ottawa got the lesser of two evils in Washington, I think they have a better chance yep. than up, they're going up against Pittsburgh. Um, that didn't happen. My bracket is dead, and the Penguins might kill my team. Because <laughs> even though Ottawa won two of the three games they played against Pittsburgh this year, yep. you look at the firepower that they have. We've already talked about it. The first game they went up against each other, the Sens got five goals. Homeside got eight on Ottawa's defense and won the game. Yeah. And this was before they had Gensel, who was leading everyone in playoff goals with nine, heading into round three. Right. You look at Connor Sheary, racked up 10 points in last year's playoffs. Um, three assists in 11 games. Not terrific this year, but still. Like, you look at his regular season numbers this year, he was near a point a game. And you have the usual suspects in Crosby and Malkin and Kessel and Hornquist. And then you look at the depth guys like Brian Rust and Nick Bonino to contain. Uh, as we mentioned before, they don't have Chris Letang. Matt Murray hasn't played a game so far. All that didn't matter. They had more than enough to get this far. and Matt I, Murray and might let, return, let, apparently. So Yeah. So so the fact of the matter is everyone knows who on paper is going to win this series. I hope it's the other way around and the yeah. Sens get it done. But until I see it in person, I'm going to go with what I see on paper. And unfortunately, the edge goes to Pittsburgh. So yeah, uh, it's, Pittsburgh in six for me, but I hope I'm wrong. Like, it's it's weird for me because I thought the Bruins were going to beat the Senators in round one. They didn't. I thought the Rangers were going to beat the Senators even more so in round two. They didn't. So it's like, it's like I, I, I feel like weird doubting them again. So I, I can't fully count the Senators out um, yeah. just yet. But... Um, the, Peng- the, the Penguins are probably going to be the hardest competition yet because they're not the Bruins oh, yeah. and they're not the Rangers. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it should be interesting though. Um, I think uh, it'll let, be closer let's, than let's, people. I also, I also find I yeah. also find this funny. I was listening. At, um, one of my coworkers. Um, I work at a radio station, obviously in, yeah, in, yeah. in Ottawa. I, think I mentioned that a few times before. But yeah. one of my uh, one of my colleagues was playing this audio of. Uh, English host in Montreal, uh, English radio station Montreal, TSN uh, six ninety or whatever the station is in Montreal, and and the TV and, and the and the host is just like rambling on about you know it's just like you know okay the Habs you know they lost to the Rangers it's right. a pretty good team as soon as the the Sens beat them 
he was pissed. Like, <laughs> I think he broke his keyboard. He's just like, you know what? It, it would just be, it would just be glorious if the Sens make it to the finals with Craig Anderson yeah. and the Habs look at their goalie who they think is God. <laughs> <laughs> He's just straight up losing it. It was hilarious. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, that must be a good feel. As I think that's how uh, Sens fans and Bruins fans reunite is uh, just the uh, tears of Habs fans. So that's great to hear. <laughs> um, the, uh, yeah, they love Carey Price. Um, anyways. Yeah, they do. Yeah, I mean, for good reason. Uh, Ducks, Oilers, uh, Ducks won, finally won their seventh game. I guess Bruce Boudreaux was the problem. Um, he, uh, so yeah, they finally won. But the big, uh, the big, um, game decider was in game five, uh, when the Oilers were up three nothing, um, for, like, the majority of the time. Yeah, like 55, 56, 57 minutes, yeah. Yeah. They, um, they were minutes away and then from it's, winning that game. So there's three minutes left in the Oiler, in the Ducks-Oilers game. I actually turned the game off because I just assumed the Oilers won. Um, and the uh, uh, they get one, they get two, um, and then they get a third one with like 30 seconds left. Now this is where it like gets 15, controversial. But still, they have a time ticking away. Eighteen. I, okay. Well, you know, thirty or eighteen, whatever. The, <laughs> this is where it gets controversial, though, because that goal, yeah. uh, the uh, it's a way it's hard to describe it. But so, uh, Nurse, uh, Darnell Nurse, the Oilers defenseman, was blocking uh, Ryan Kessler. Um, in front of Cam Talbot's area. Um, and I think it was Ricard Raquel who shot it, right? Um, yeah, and, he got the winner. Uh, yeah. He got the tying goal, rather, yeah. Um, and uh, Raquel shot it into the goal. I mean, it was a nice shot, too. Um, however, uh, Ryan Kessler was holding on to Cam Talbot and uh, Darnell Nurse was still pushing on to Ryan Kessler. Um, so we're definitely going to disagree with this because we've been talking about this ever since it happened. I think that because Darnell Nurse was pushing Ryan Kessler into Cam Talbot, that mean, that negates the whole goaltending interference. However, Steve, who you're about to explain thinks that since Ryan Kessler just held on to uh, Cam Talbot's uh, pads the entire time, that just calls for goalie interference. Um, is that right? <laughs> well, see, the thing is, I didn't even see it until Elliot Friedman mentioned it. Everyone in the broadcast right. uh, booth at, at Sportsnet I thought it thought it wasn't goalie interference. And then he mentions that, and then everyone's opinion changed right away. Uh, he, here's the thing that I noticed. I, I I took a look at it a few times before he went on the air. Yep. It looked like Kessler's stick was underneath the pad of Cam Talbot. He was still holding on to the stick. Yep. So he was still holding on to the stick. So he was technically, in, in my opinion, he was technically he was in Cam Talbot's way. If he lets go of the stick and he's getting pushed by Darnell Nurse. And he's got no control over what happens to Cam Talbot. Yeah. Then it's a different story, in my opinion. 
but he doesn't drop the stick. He's still holding on to it. That's the one problem I have with the play, and it should have been called goalie interference for that reason. Uh, I'm not saying I'm not saying what Darnell Nurse did changes. Uh, uh, I'm not saying what Darnell Nurse did wasn't illegal. Like like what Darnell Nurse yeah, but was you doing. Can't, like, like absolutely, he wasn't. He you wasn't can't push his, the his player into the goalie. That's no. He, he, yeah, and in that <laughs> case, if you're pushing a player in the goalie, it's not goalie interference. Yeah. But the fact that he was still holding on to the stick with it underneath Cam Talbot's pad, Cam Talbot yeah. can't get over in position. That's the one thing I had wrong with that. That that should have been called goalie interference. The rest, Kessler, there's nothing he could do. The one thing he didn't do was drop his stick, but he has possession of the stick in his hand. And that is why I think it was it should have been called goalie interference. I can understand why some people disagree and why the refs um, decide not to call it goalie interference and call it a good goal. But in my opinion, that's the one thing I had wrong with it is that he was still holding on to his stick when the puck went in. All right. Well, we're going to dis- agree to disagree on that. but Yeah, that's fine. Um, we're not uh, going to agree on everything. It wouldn't be true. much of a show it if we agree It wouldn't that. be interesting. No, you're right. Um the uh, but yeah, so Corey Perry ended up getting uh, getting the winner, which I ended up watching. So that there's that um, in the double overtime. Um, yeah, so then let's go to the who's been good, who's been bad, because um, this will like relate to the series as a whole. Uh, gets lab unless you want to talk about the series. I don't know. Um, yeah. Um, well. I'll, I'll talk a bit about the series later. We'll talk about the studs and duds first. You, you okay. can go first. If you fine, want. fine. So I have a couple here. Uh, Getzlav has 10 points, um, had 10 points, 5 goals, uh, 5 assists, um, including, yeah, although he he was, uh, he didn't have any points in the last two series. Um, but, he's, you know, he was still pretty good. Uh, Dreisaitl, even crazier, he had 13 points. Uh, five goals, eight assists, including a five-point game six and a four-point game one. Um, yeah. So that's crazy. Also, Corey Perry is getting hot. Um, finally, he had a he had an off year this year in the regular season. Um, he had zero points in the first three games against the Oilers, and then he had uh, six points um, the rest of the way. Uh, including that one goal win- game-winning goal that I just mentioned in Game Five, and he had five assists in uh, in those uh, last three games. So um, there was that. Um, as for duds, um, McDavid had five points. Not terrible, of course, but um, not as good as he should be because this is you know Connor McDavid we're talking about. He had he's the only one who had a hundred points this year, so. Um, he should be relied upon more to get more than five points. Um, and Jordan Eberle only had one assist, um, which is um, not great. We lost Steve again. Um, I'm not sure what's going on. So Jordan Eberle had one assist, um, and uh, which isn't great. Uh, Oilers should rely upon him more. Ryan Nugent Hopkins had four assists. Um, and that, that was earlier in the series. And Milan Lucic had one goal and three assists, or four points, um, which isn't terrible either, but not great either. So, um, yeah, those guys uh, needed to do better, but 
Dreisaitl, Cam Talbot, and McDavid are a, a good pairing, so I liked what I saw from the Oilers there. Yeah, well, Dreisaitl was my biggest stud yeah. there. Like, uh, the fact that he didn't get any points in the first four playoff games, again, I'll say, it's like 16 points for the final nine playoff games. That's massive. Yep. And and uh, after his big five-point game, he was second in playoff. Only Malkin had more points than he did. Um, so he was a stud, you're right, a duds, like, just couldn't get it going. Uh, Ryan Getzlav was able to, uh, 10 points in seven games, um, and he just made the big plays, like, yep. uh, there was, um, in game four, and with the old... Yeah, well, obviously, Leon Dreisaitl was a stud for me. I mean, you, you go pointless, first of all, in your first four postseason games against the Sharks, and then you get 16 points in your final nine. Like, that's outstanding. Like, that's just total beast mode right there. Um, and then after his big game six, his five points in game six, he was second in the playoff scoring race. Only Malkin had more points than he did. Uh, gets slapped just as dominant on the other side. And he was just doing... All the small plays. He he scored six goals and ten points in the seven game series. Um, but um, on one of the goals that he set up, it was game four overtime. Um, he blocks the shot with his hand in his own end, and then twenty to thirty seconds later, go the other way, make a nice pass to Soberberg, and bang, snipe, game over. So um, Getzlav is just doing the little things as well as scoring goals and making plays, which which I really admired of him. Um, Duds, in my opinion, Corey Perry. Like, this guy has two goals in 11 playoff games. But that might be decent for a third-line guy making a few million. They're paying him $9 million a I, year. Wait, That's hold on, hold on. I had, him, I had him getting hot because he had zero points in the first three games, I'll admit, but he had six points uh, the rest of the way. Well, he needs to keep it up then. Yeah, and including that one game-winning goal. So, yeah, I I get it. He's Corey Perry, but he's he's getting hot. Yeah, well, he's he's making $9 million a year, so I guess if if he's got to get hot, it's got to be now. Yep. Um, But you're right. uh, Dud Wise for Edmonton, like Everly and Nugent Hopkins, like, you got to score goals. Yep. Like, they they, they drafted these guys. He's – Ryan Nugent Hopkins was a first overall pick. He wasn't a first overall pick because he couldn't score goals. Like, it – He's, but both guys, in my opinion, underperformed in the series period, yep. and that um, they needed more from them, and they didn't get it. So, um, my my biggest concern with with the Edmonton Oilers is they're going to look, they're going to be their success is going to be looked at during the offseason. Everyone's going to grow up to realize they lost to a good team to go from a lottery team to a team that was one win away from the yeah, final four. Is something that. Uh, this group of guys and their fans can be proud of. They they can really lean on that. At the same time, the ball was in their court and they didn't take advantage. They yeah. were up two to nothing heading into game three in the series. They had a two to nothing lead in game four. They had a three nothing lead with about three or so minutes left in game five. Edmonton let those opportunities slip away from them. They were in the driver's seat a lot more often than some people realize. And I would make the point that they lost the series more than Anaheim won it. And if you give a team like Anaheim any kind of a spark, it will come back to bite you. 
and it came back to bite the Oilers, unfortunately. Yeah. So, yes, they lost to a good team. Yes, they lost in seven games. Yes, they gave it a good run. In my opinion, they should have won it. At this, yeah, I see what you mean. At the same time, dry settles like pretty young. McDavid's, of course, pretty young. He's probably going to oh, be, you know, Cam they, Talbot's they pretty young. Future, there's no yeah, question. Especially those three guys. So um, I think they'll they'll be back. But it's um, yeah, I think this is a good playoff experience for them. Um, but I think this is one of those times where they're like, oh, we could actually be so much better than we yeah, are. They, they, this they yeah. They could have had. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, when you look at, like, teams like the Sabres, you're, you know, like, they were in the same position as they were last year, so, um, and the Sabres yeah. are still in last place, so they got to be yeah, feeling good true. about them. Um, yeah, absolutely. Preds, Blues, uh, Preds won in Western, uh, Preds won in six games, although it felt like it was five games, really. Um I, I don't have much on the series other than uh, Pecorine has still been incredible. He has a 9.51 save percentage and a 1.31 uh, GAA in the playoffs so far. Um, so he's like, you know, every playoffs has that like one hot goalie. Uh, Pecorine so far has been that guy. Um, so that's pretty good. And also Ryan Ellis had five points in this series. So uh, there's that. Um, I don't know. I'm sure. I can. Uh, I guess I'm going in with the studs and duds already before we talk about the series as a whole. But um, as for duds, I have Tarasenko who had three points, two goal, and that includes two goals in game two, one assist in game six. Um, that was it. Like that was literally it for Tarasenko. Uh, he needs to be better than that. Um, and Pietrangelo had three assists, and that was it as well. So, um, those are my duds, um, there. Yeah. Well, um, before I get to the studs and duds, just taking a look at, um, at, at how the series unfolded. Like, in Game 3, the Preds had 14 more giveaways than yep. the Blues. Johansson had five of their 20 on the night. But when he outshoots St. Louis, um, there's a good chance you're able to win, and they did. Um... And when you have Tell a guy that like to Colton Skizens, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But when a guy like Colton Skizens picks up two assists, you know your offense in solid position when you yeah. have those depth guys chiming in. In game four, physical tension starting to heat up in the third. Ryan Ellis again providing a spark. Uh, he saves a goal in the first or second period to boot, and then he opens the scoring for a second straight game. Like uh, Ryan Ellis, as you mentioned, was the beast in the yeah. series. Um, and then you talk about Nashville's depth. This time it was their defensive depth that showed yeah. up because with just about 13 minutes left in regulation, only Petrangelo had more time on ice than Matthias Ekholm. Matthias yeah. Ekholm with the Predators. Like, this guy isn't Roman Yossi or Ryan Ellis or P.K. Subban. He's a good top four guy, yeah. but he's not a top three. And right. when you have that guy playing, only Petrangelo playing more minutes than him, that's, that's saying a lot. And then you have the guys that should be making a major impact who weren't doing so all year make a big play. And in game four was James Neal. The guy had 23 goals in the regular season, getting paid a lot more than he should. Only one in this year's playoffs before he he pulled off an absolute snipe. Seeing I shot past Jake Allen, that, that turned out to be the game winner in that game. Um, and heading into game five, 
The Preds led for 68.2% of the series heading into this one. St. Louis led for 1.6%. They were 2-10 and 10 in elimination games since 2010. And while they were able to win that game, um, you, just, you just had a feeling that Nashville was going to win it at home because this is a team right now, don't look now, they've won eight or so playoff home games yeah. in a row, a streak that dates back to last year's playoffs. They've only They're lost twice. This year. They've only lost twice in the playoffs. Yeah, and when you, when you go five and zero at home, and the first two victories yeah. of that run is against a team like Chicago, yeah. it's really tough to diffuse the energy level that the fans in Nashville provide. Yeah. Um, so I think it was just the team play that was an absolute stud, especially their penalty kill for Nashville. Um, before everyone got eliminated in round two, they owned the second best penalty kill amongst active teams at eighty-seven point five percent. Yeah. And special teams, in my opinion, is what cost the St. Louis Blues. Their goals per game was their biggest weakness because after 11 games, it was, it was at exactly two goals, four per game, the lowest of any active teams before they got eliminated. Their power play, 6.7%, the worst of any playoff team, alive or dead. That is absolutely terrible. You, yeah. and, and and people wonder why they were big underdogs against Minnesota, why they lost to Nashville. When you can't score in the power play, there's 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 a recipe there's for disaster. Having that, said that's what lost it for. Having said all that though, like they they lost uh, or they traded away Shannon Kirk in the middle of the year. Um, yeah. the, Robbie Fabry was out for most of the year. You know, it's it's impressive that they you know they had a coaching change in the middle of the year too. So. Um, you and know, Allen resurgence as yeah. well. So, like, it's 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 remarkable that they even got this far to begin with, given all yeah. that. So, um, kudos to them. I guess uh, I think I heard that Colton Pareko is uh, like they're in talks with contract for a long term extension in the St. Louis, which makes sense when you trade a guy like Shannon Kirk. Um, you probably want a a young guy in place already. So, um, yeah. it looks like Pareko is going to be that guy. Um, the Preds and Ducks predictions. Um, as you mentioned, the Preds are the hot team, but the Ducks are the only number one seed left. So uh, it's going to be tough. I'm going to go with Preds in seven. Um, I feel like they're just too hot, but um, at the same time, I can't really count the Ducks out. So, um, yeah, I'm going to go with the Preds in seven. I want to see Nashville do well. I think they have the team to pull this off. I mean, you look at Pecorino, 1.37 goals against average, 9.51 save percentage, right up there with the league's best of this postseason. Ryan Ellis, like I said, can't say enough about him, been huge for them on the back end. I think regardless of who wins it goes seven, I think Anaheim's experience is going to be the difference. They've won a game seven Uh now, so uh, I think they're going to win another one, Anaheim in seven for me. Um, I just want PK in the Stanley Cup Finals. That's all I care about. Yeah, I don't care be, that Nashville. It be odd if, yeah. if somehow we get PK Subban versus the Ottawa Senators in the Stanley Cup Final, yeah, all the Habs fans are going to be cheering for PK. Meanwhile, Subban. Gary Bettman's probably shooting himself. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't think I don't think that's the matchup that he wants. No, no, no. he probably wants Anaheim, Pittsburgh, Crosby versus yeah. LA. But yeah, or California. But yeah. Um, all right, let's go to the rapid fire. Uh, Bishop to the Stars uh, for a fourth rounder, which is kind of surprising because Bishop wasn't Bishop nominated for a Vezina last year, right? 
Um, I feel like um, he was. Well, I, I think he, he had the numbers over the last three years to be considered yeah. certainly a Vezina candidate, um, especially in his second year. I believe he's like um, 30 years old now, right? So um, he might be on the decline, and who knows what he can do with the defense. Like, the Stars still have a lot of holes, but, um, yeah, he's 30 years old. Um, but, you know, this is a good step for them, so... Um, so it's an improvement for Lettinen and EMA, which now they have to trade before the expansion draft because they have three guys, um, three goalies. So, um, yeah, uh, they have Bishop now. Um, oh, and also the Stars, because the Ducks went uh, to the conference finals, uh, they, uh, from that Patrick Eves trade, uh, they get a first from the Ducks. So they now have their fourth overall pick and the Ducks pick. So, um, stars are looking pretty good. Yep, deeper in the heart of Texas. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, they, honestly, they need more than Ben Bishop. Yeah. Let's make that perfectly clear. Cause, yeah, like, they still need to Miami's, fix that defense. Yeah, because, like, Miami at a 3.30 goals against average this year, letting in 2.85. Yeah. Bishop had a 2.49 GAA and a 900 save percentage. He had the likes of Strawman and Hedman in Tampa. In L.A., he had Dowdy, Muzzin, and Martinez backing him up. He's got Klingberg, um, an aging Dan Hamus if they bring him back. They have a couple of defense, like young defensemen like Radic Faxa. They have a couple of defense, but they oh, need a lot so. more than just those guys. Yeah. So they still have a lot of work ahead for sure. But yeah. uh, Bishop is just one piece. And, and let's be clear, they still have to sign him to a contract. So, True. Um, just because they got his rights doesn't necessarily mean that'd be funny you know, though. They got. That'd be funny if they like yeah. <laughs> they like they didn't sign him after all that. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I think they have they have a couple of young defensemen: Essa Lindell, uh, Oleskiask, uh, Klingberg, as you just mentioned. Um, I think they also don't they have um, Honka Julius, Julius Honka. Honka is Julius another Honka. one. Yeah. yeah. Um. So they have those guys. They have a lot of young defensemen, but who knows if they'll turn out the way that they want. But yeah, you're right. They still have other holes right now, and who knows if Bishop will be that guy. So um, we'll see. Because, you know, uh, Tampa Bay had a pretty good defense. Um, L.A., for a short time, also has a pretty good defense. So this will be his worst defense ahead of, behind him, or ahead of him, I should say, yeah. Um, yeah. that he's been on. So we'll see. Uh, Vegas signs uh, Shipachev, Vadim Shipachev. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. He's a 30-year-old. Shipachev, Shipachev, yeah. He's 30 30 years old. He's in the KHL. Uh, He was, uh, the team was Ska St. Petersburg, which is, if you don't know, that's Ilya Kovalchuk's team. Um, This season, he had 76 points um, in 50 games. Pretty good for a 30-year-old, so um, it will be interesting. I mean, obviously, this is the, you know, we don't know who he'll play with, but um, other than Reed Duke, but um, this could be promising. He could be pretty good. We'll see. Well, uh, he's going to be a regular because uh, this year is the third highest score in the KHL this year, as you yeah. just mentioned. Uh, $4.5 million per season, that's what he's going to be making over the next two years. He's yep. won a pair of KHL titles. He, he has two kids. He plays center. And he was born just a few months prior to Sidney Crosby, and he wears number 87. Oh, FYI. Nice. 
Um, over the last three years, he's recorded at least 50 points in the regular season. Over his last three playoff trips, 54 games, 17 playoff goals, and 56 playoff points. Uh, the first time I heard of this guy was at the World Ju- a World Hockey Championship sorry, uh, last year, 2016. Six goals and 18 points in just 10 games. Well. And in his first three games this year, he has six points. So um, I think this is going to be their first regular star that they have on Las Vegas. And uh, just one of the many pieces they're going to build around. Yeah, uh, it should be exciting, but we don't know too much about what um, what he's what's going to happen. But we'll see. Um, yeah, exactly. Like, AHL doesn't necessarily translate into age, uh, NHL success all the time. True. So, yeah. And it's this is like, a, you know, this is a, an expansion team. So um, we, we really don't know uh, what he's going to do. So we don't even know his teammates. So um, we'll see. Um, Hard Trophy. Oh, no, Winter Classic. Sorry. Uh, it's, it's going to be in City Field. Um, it's where the New York Mets play. Um, it's going to be the New York Rangers and the Buffalo Sabres. Um, it's kind of interesting that it's the Sabres instead of, like, maybe the uh, um, the Islanders. Um, I feel like that makes a little bit more sense because, you know, Ranger, the, both those uh, teams are closer to New York. But, um, yeah, it's going to be a Sabres-Rangers game. It uh, should be cool because Jack Eichel uh, gets uh, gets all the intention and whatnot. So, yeah, they're in City Field for the Winter Classic. Yeah, it started in Buffalo ten years ago. By the way, um, yep. January first, two thousand eight, they they hosted the Pens, which is probably why they're involved in this. Yeah, one. that's probably true. Uh, and it kind of kick started the series of outdoor games that followed. Uh, probably why the Winter Classic became an annual tradition. So. Yeah. I think that's probably why they included Buffalo, but it's it's. I think NHL's getting to a point where it's like, okay, what matchups haven't we done? As yeah. opposed to which are the sexiest matchups that we keep replaying over and over and yeah. over again? You know, at least it's not the Blackhawks and Penguins. You know, so there's yeah, that. part two. Yeah, exactly. Um, although I think this is the Rangers' second Winter Classic and the Sabers' second Winter Classic. So um, yeah, they, still they, they, still replay. the Rangers. The ra- yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. The Rangers played the Flyers, I think, one year. Yeah, yeah in uh, right. I think it was in it's New York, in as well. Philly, I think. I oh, think I thought it was in, it was in New York. So remember, my brother no, they, was there. I know Citizens Bank Park did one. So okay, you might anyway, be right. Anyway, well, I'll have to double check that, but I you might be right. I thought it was in New York, but. Um, and, they, and, they, and they've they've they they hosted a game also in Yankee Stadium against uh, yep. the Devils and, That's and right. the Islanders. I, but that wasn't so. a that wasn't a Winter Classic. No, that was just uh, those was, were just outdoor yeah, games. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, Hart Trophy nominations. No real surprise, I guess. Uh, Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid, and Sergei Bobrovsky. I guess it could have been Brent Burns, but um, I guess he just had a terrible last half. Of the year, so yeah, it's uh, it makes sense that Bobrovsky would be the Hart Trophy guy. Um, unfortunately, the Brad Marchand Hart campaign didn't work. So yeah, um, <laughs> no, what well, just wasn't enough. Just um, wasn't enough. I, no. I think I think Bobrovsky's a close second because of the way Columbus uh, was able to bounce back. Yeah, like top five and wins, save percentage, starts, shutout saves, all yeah. that stuff. Um, he, that it's tough to not put him on this list. 
but Connor, the wonder kid, I mean, yep. the guy wins the Art Ross. Uh, again, you know, playoff success is just gravy on top. But um, I, I said before uh, the season started, I think we both agreed to this, that if he won the scoring race, he has a shot at winning the hard trophy. And I yep. think he's going to win it this year. Yep, I think so too. Um, yeah, I don't think there's any debate really. I don't think anyone's saying like, "Hey, I think this Crosby guy should win." It. No, it's all it's all McDavid. Um, Bob Rowski is going to get a Vezina. I think that's what this says uh, here. By the way, um, could, uh, speaking of potential Hart Trophy candidates who got snubbed, uh, Nikita Kucherov made the news the other day. Um, I think this happened like two weeks ago, so we're hashing out old news here, but uh, Kucherov was interviewed at a, like a Russian place. I don't know if it was a newspaper or a website, but it's some Russian news. We'll just call it a secret Russian location yeah. because of, you know, just, just to keep the mystique alive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just to keep this in mind that it's Russian, this is translated here. So he had a... He had a little interesting quote here. So he was asked about the fact that uh, uh, Stephen Stamkos dropped out was a blow. Yes, you have more playing time, but after all, Tampa became weaker. And Kucherov says, <clears throat> I had great chemistry with Nemistikov and Stamkos at the start of the season. We understood each other very well, and then Stamkos was injured. I think those nine games were my best in the NHL. After that, coach started shuffling lines. Partners were changing like in a kaleidoscope. Um, it was very hard to get used to it because guys didn't play at Stamkos's level. It's hard to explain how I played with him, Stamkos he's talking about. We had a lack of understanding with the players besides Stamkos. There were some problems. Um, and then the interviewer goes, for example, you tell a new partner where you need to be, but he does not manage to get there with his feet, question mark. Um, Kucherov goes, I was suffering all this season because I couldn't find perfect chemistry with other partners. I played with Drew N once, and it was good, but the coaches didn't put us together again. Some guys have stayed too long on the team. They've got money and stopped working. They knew there was no competition for their positions, and the organization was not going to take someone else. They did not play really well this season. You can see it in their stats. What we, when we played together and I made a pass, they were not expecting it. That's why the season was hard for me, despite good stats. Um, so you can make the argument that this was translated, you know, when you translate from Russia to English, that you can get a little misinterpreted here. Um, having said that, I, it's kind of hard to misinterpret that, right? <laughs> um, so it seems yeah. like uh, Kucherov's just putting all his teammates under the bus, except for Sam Kos, Duran, and Mystikov. So, um, it's interesting. I don't know. Um, I don't know what's going on, but uh, yeah. He's what's also heat. interesting is um, he, he also mentioned how the American media is getting on his case. Uh, this this was one of the well, this was part of what he said. "Quote: They don't interview me often. Sometimes oh, when yeah. I get a hat trick, nobody asks for an interview. If I go on a slump, I'm immediately surrounded. It angers me because I do not know what to say when you don't play well." I don't have constant speaking practice, so I can't find the words to express my thoughts sometimes. This is why they write this nonsense about my communication, but I don't care. I love to see them being asked about things they don't know after spending three months in Russia. Well, this this team, first of all, this team was one point away from making the playoffs. The only right. reason they were they made it without their captain, minus Victor Hedman, was Nikita Kucherov. 
True. He scored 40 goals, 85 points, top five scorer at season's end. He should have been a hard candidate. <laughs> yeah, tied for first in power play goals with 17, finished third in power play points, seven game winners. He did all of that despite averaging less than 20 minutes of ice time, and he recorded the best, the 19th best ta- time on ice amongst forwards. He only took 14 minor penalties, yep. and that's significant when you consider that Patty Kane, Zach Parise, Joe Pavelski, Jonathan Taves, Daniel Sedin, Kyle Turris, and Ryan Getzlaff had more penalties, minor penalties, I should say, than he did. If Stamkos wasn't on the team, in my opinion, I wonder if Nikita's respect level shown by the media goes up a little bit because they had they had no chance of having a chance of making the playoffs this year yeah. without Nikita Kucherov. And to do all of that and get paid less than $5 million a year is a luxury that very few teams have. And in my opinion, those in Tampa should be thankful of Nikita Kutrov yeah, and what he's been able to provide I, because I, he, he yeah. had a great year. Yeah, I, I agree that the media was a little rough on him. But at the same time, when he, when that, that quote that I just mentioned, it's like he's, he's knocking on the teammates. Like, I don't know, it seems a little silly considering that you just mentioned that Tampa was one point away from making the playoffs. I don't know. It's 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 a little it feels feels a little diva ish, I guess. I mean, he has a point that I feel like he was he's been misinterpreted in the media, but at the same time, it's hard to misinterpret that quote. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's true. It's tough. Um, we'll go to the World Hockey Championships here. We have a little bit of an update. Um, Russia is uh, it's a little confusing here on their their site page here, but I'm reading here. So in Group A, Russia, uh, no surprise, is doing really well. Uh, they have they've won three games and they have one OT win, so they're four zero and zero. Latvia uh, is second. They have three wins. Um, with nothing else, um, USA's third three and O as well. A three O and three one and O. So confusing here. Um, like uh, Germany is doing well too. Um, and then in Group B, no surprise again, Canada is doing well. They're three O and O. But the bigger surprise is the Swiss. They're doing pretty well too. They're tied with points. With Canada, I guess they do goal differential um, as points. I'm not sure why um, they're doing this, but so uh, S- Switzerland is three with one OT win and one OT loss. They haven't lost in regulation yet, and they have two wins, so uh, they have nine points. Canada has nine points. Uh, Russia has eleven points. Um, Finland, as you were going to trash them, they're doing pretty well too. They're in third in Group B. Um, they are two, one and one. Yeah. Well, uh, here, here's why I'm 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 gonna quote unquote trash them, or <laughs> or at the very least give them a piece of my mind. Like, uh, first off, you know, Team Canada when you have, when you outscore your opponent 17, 17 to three in the first three games, you're probably gonna win all three, and they did. Um, Team USA, they lost to Germany in the opener. Uh, they outshot the Germans, to be fair, 20-6 to in the final frame. Grice was unbelievable from start to finish. They dispatched Denmark 7-2. They got seven goals on 34 shots. So they, they appear to bounce back there. Um, 
France upsetting Finland 5-1 to one really got my attention because while the goalie on France, Florian Hardy, was unbelievable, and I don't know if you saw, but uh, Pierre-Edouard Bellemare actually got player of the game. Oh, yeah. And people were booing because Florian Hardy didn't get it. And he motioned Florian to, to come up and accept uh, the, the watch there. So so he ended up getting player of the game, which is a nice moment. But the big the big story was Finland getting upset there. And then their next game, they lose 4-3 to the Czechs after blowing a three-goal lead. So there, there are two things here. First of all, how they're using Jesse Pugliarvi. This is a guy, less than 12 months ago, he was a top five NHL draft pick. 2016 World Juniors, he gets five goals and 17 points in seven games, top score in the tournament. First four periods of this year's World Championships, he only plays in one I repeat, one shift. They don't have Patrick Laine. They don't have Alex Barkov. They don't have Mikhail Granlin. They don't have Miku Koivu. This guy should be leaned on heavily. And I'm almost starting to wonder if Edmonton Oilers fans should be worried about the guy they drafted in the top five last year. Because we all know how Yakupov turned out. They missed out on drafting Philip Forsberg because they thought, like so many people, that nail was the best pick in the draft. And you would hope that Jesse pans out because if he doesn't, they miss out on Matt Kachuk, Clayton Keller, Mikhail Sergachev, Charlie McAvoy, Tyson Yost, Sam Steele, and Jonathan Dolan, and, and other guys that I didn't mention. Any one of those names that, could be, that I just mentioned could be a diamond in the rough type of player compared to Jesse because Jesse is the most hyped. But there's a difference between hype and what you see on a stat sheet. Um and if that and if and if it goes from bad to worse and he doesn't turn around like Anthony Mantha was able to do in Detroit this year. Yeah. I mean, he posted decent numbers in the AHL since his demotion. He got 28 points in 39 games to his credit. But the fact he's not being used by the national club is what sticks out to me instead of his rookie milestones. And then it, then I'm also wondering, well gee, if it's is it the national program that's to blame here because if you remember the World Cup of Hockey, I picked this team to win it all. Yep. They got no wins in three games. The World Juniors, same thing. I thought, okay, they're going to do better this year. Even without Liney, they're going to do better. They almost got relegated at the World Juniors. And they coughed up, as I said, a 3 nothing lead to the Czechs and lost 4-3 to in their third game of this tournament. And after a three-goal first period, they managed just nine shots in the final three frames. They had 12 in the first. So... I'm, I'm, I'm starting to wonder, is it just the player or is it the team? Because slowly but surely, uh, I, it, especially with the team, it's a slow but steady freefall, in my yeah. opinion. Uh, well, I'm lo- just looking at his stats here. In the AHL for the Oilers uh, affiliate team, the Bakersfield Condors, he had 28 yeah. points in 39 games, um, which yep. isn't terrible, so... Um, although he had eight points in 28 games that he was up um, in the big league. So, um, I don't know. I feel like he still needs some seasoning. I, I could see Pulhulu Harvey being good in a couple of years. Um, but I, admit, I hope he is. Yeah. I don't know if he'll... Um, we'll see what, what goes on. But um, uh, we're just going to do some brief Bruins news here. Um so uh, Anders Bork still hasn't signed with the Bruins yet, but he's on the U.S. team for the World Hockey Juniors, uh, the World Hockey Championship. 
Um, people were, I think there are some people who are thinking that like he may want to go to the Olympics and that's why he's hesitant to sign. Um, I'm not nervous yet, but I feel like if he play, he, he has one more year left in Notre Dame. I feel like if he goes, if he, I will be nervous if he doesn't sign this summer. Um, otherwise, cause I think like if you want to play for the rest of like, if you want to play for the senior year in Notre Dame, that's fine. That's great. Um, like, but I feel like he might not be as committed to the Bruins um, if he doesn't sign, like a Jimmy VC type. So there's a Jimmy VC yeah. type situation that's brewing. Um, I'm not nervous yet, but I'm close. Um, speaking of the World Hockey Championships as well, Charlie McAvoy is also on the Team USA team. He has one assist, so that's good too. And hopefully, he can help recruit uh, Anders Bork, um, who's having some issues with the Bruins right now. So uh, we'll see. Um, I, I'm, now, I'm, didn't, didn't you mention that um, that uh, there were talks of whether you heard rumblings that uh, maybe Ryan Spooner could be getting shot? Yeah, I was I was getting to that. Um, sh- they're okay. shopping uh, Ryan Spooner. Uh, I think I was talking about this last episode that. Cassidy mentioned that like he didn't like Ryan Spooner's offensive game. Uh, Julian class like uh, famously didn't like um, Spooner's defensive game. So when the two coaches uh, don't really like him, um, don't like his game, the odds are they're probably going to shop him. So I'm not surprised by this. I am kind of saddened. I feel like he could be a good pro um, if given the opportunity. Reportedly, Vancouver and New Jersey are interested. Also, Las Vegas is interested, too. But um, I don't know how much traction Las Vegas can get unless they want to pick him up in the draft, which I doubt they're going to do. I feel like they're going to try to get um, um, one of the Millers um, in the draft, but um, which will be another discussion for another time. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm... I'm kind of sad about this, but I'm not surprised either. Um, but yeah, so they're shopping him. I think, I don't know how much we can get for them. Probably a third round pick would be my guess, but we'll see. And then lastly, the Providence Bruins are in the Calder Cup, which is the American Hockey League, the, uh, um, you know, the AHL, which is the, you know, the minor leagues for the NHL team. Uh, they're in the second round. Uh, they're playing the Hershey Bears. It's 1-1 in that round. So, uh, go Bruins. Woo! Um, <laughs> uh, I think that's it. Um, oh, also, I guess we didn't mention, but Scott Darling got signed uh, officially um, to Carolina. And you said that was a yeah. no-brainer? Yeah, while we're on that subject, yeah, he got signed by Carolina four-year contract. Also, Zaitsev gets a seven-year oh, yeah. contract extension with the Forgot Leafs, and that. Tanner Pearson gets another four years with the Kings. Forgot about that. Um, I also saw that like Tyson Berry got injured in the World Hockey Championships or something. Like he was. Tri- oh, I know Tyson Berry is is, is playing in uh, the World Hockey Championships with Canada. So is Nathan McKinnon, and uh, McKinnon oh, yeah. is just killing it right now. He, so. uh, oh, this is <laughs> this is laughable. 
Barry to miss rest of the world championships due to leg lacerations. And guess how he did it? Suffered in a hotel room wrestling match. (laughs) If this is how Colorado's year goes next year, uh, I don't know how much more abstinence can take. (laughs) I know, that's the most... Oh, I also saw here that Jason... Uh, that's, that's about as worst. If, if any football fans who know of the Kevin Cobb fluke injury that almost happened, like slipped on a carpet and almost injured himself. Well, it, like, it happens all the time in baseball, what, that's right? That's what this injury is yeah. right here. It happens all the time in baseball. Like, there was, I think there was one that, like, I forget who it was, but, like, they, like, were driving a tractor or something, and they pulled the muscle or something like that. It was crazy. Or oh, uh, Dustin Penner. He was the fa- the the who we're attributing this episode to. Uh, he famously uh, got injured while eating pancakes. Eating pancakes. Um, also, Jason Botterill is uh, named the GM of the Sabers. Um, I don't know too much about him, but oh. well, that's out of left field. Yeah. Okay. Um. But other than that, I think that's it. I think we have everything. I'm sure some big hockey news story is going to happen right after we finish recording. Yeah. But of, of course. Of yeah. course. But um, yeah. yeah if, that's we, it. if we record on Wednesday, then yeah, yeah especially. Uh, social media. Right, social media. Thanks, uh, Ron McLean. Um, uh, <laughs> lace them up uh, on Twitter. Uh, lace them podcast on Twitter. Uh, lace them up on Facebook. Uh, you can listen, you're probably listening to this on SoundCloud, so lace them up there on SoundCloud, or you can subscribe to us on iTunes at lace them up. Um, that's, oh, and email us at laceupbag at gmail.com. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 77 of the Lace Them Up podcast. Okay. Go 